Discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. Thank you as well for listening to us via our streaming facilities. Well, we're coming back to this issue once again, and uh, it's an interesting one, and I think uh, it's one that we've been focusing on for a long, long time here on African Dialogue. Ebola on the program today we're focusing on the african union support to ebola outbreak in west africa uh they're sending south african health workers to ebola affected countries so we'll focus on that after our news with ends In the headlines, Central African leaders call for the creation of a special fund to support countries affected by Boko Haram militants. South Sudan's government threatens to silence journalists if they broadcast interviews with rebels involved in the civil war and the African Union to observe the Comoros parliamentary elections runoff. Good morning. Central African leaders have called for the creation of a special fund to support countries affected by Boko Haram militants. The meeting that ended in Cameroon's capital Yaoundé last night discussed details of the regional force being deployed to combat the Nigerian terrorist group Boko Haram, which has been expanding attacks in Cameroon and Chad. The Economic Community of Central African States chairperson also, Chad's President Idris Deby says an emergency fund has also been created to improve the conditions of people displaced by the militant group. It is very difficult for our states to face this scourge in an isolated manner, so I invite all states that have not been touched by this terrorism to be very careful and show solidarity with affected countries. We also invite the international community to bring its material, diplomatic, financial and logistical support to combat Boko Haram. 
South Sudan's government has threatened to silence journalists if they broadcast interviews with rebels involved in the civil war. Rights groups have repeatedly warned that security forces have cracked down on journalists suffocating debate and how to end a civil war in which tens of thousands of people have been killed in the past 14 months. Reporters Without Borders says South Sudan has slipped down six places on its annual press freedom rankings, listing it as the 125th worst nation out of 100 and 80. Fighting broke out in December 2013 when President Silva Kiir accused his former deputy Rahik Machar of attempting a coup, setting off a cycle of killings across the country. At least 200 journalists risk losing their jobs in Kenya following the closure of four major television stations in the country over the controversial government directive to move from analog to digital broadcasting system. The four television stations have declined the government directive, claiming it was too expensive for ordinary Kenyans and required more time to implement. Opposition leaders in Kenya have accused the Kenyatta government of forcibly switching off the four television stations claiming the move was creating information darkness in Kenya. Director General of the Communication Authority of Kenya, Francis Wangusi. Any broadcaster still on the analog uh, platform will be doing so illegally and the authority shall take regulatory action against them. This in essence means that the three media houses and any other network currently broadcasting on the analog platform in the areas already uh, switched off are required to migrate to the digital platform with immediate effect. As the Union of Comoros prepares for its parliamentary elections runoff to be held on Sunday, Chairperson of the African Union Commission Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma has approved the deployment of an AU election observation mission to the country. The observers led by the former by former Transition Prime Minister of Madagascar, Jean-Omar Bareziki, are arriving in the country today to observe electoral and post-electoral periods up to the 27th of this month. The parliamentary election's first round took place last month. More than 4,000 refugees in Namibia could be left without any help as the United Nations High Commission for Refugees plans to close down operations in the country and relocate to South Africa later this year. The Namibian government will take over the administration and other operations pertaining to refugees when UNHCR relocates. Friki Wallace reports. Namibia's Commissioner for Refugees, Nkrumah Mushalenga, says the Namibian government does not have the resources to look after the refugees in the country. He says the UN Commission should continue funding the government so that the refugees can be catered for. Mushalenga says Namibia has its own obligations and that its limited national budget is used for Namibians. Recapping the top stories, Central African leaders call for the creation of a special fund to support countries affected by Boko Haram militants. South Sudan's government threatens to silence journalists if they broadcast interviews with rebels involved in the civil war and the African Union to observe the Comoros parliamentary elections runoff.
Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us via our online website, you can stream us there on www.channelafrica.org. Thank you for listening to us there on our online facility. Now, today we're looking at this issue once again, looking at Ebola. We know that it is a huge crisis on the continent, something that we should take seriously and something that we shouldn't say, hey, it's no longer a headline story that we should actually now back off and look at other things. But I think we should continue our actually uh, focus on this particular issue. The African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa, also known as uh, Sioa, in uh, collaboration with the South African government, has sent up to 23 South African health workers to Ebola-affected countries. Now, the health workers, including 20 nurses and three paramedics, are expected to depart Johannesburg for Sierra Leone. And it's going to take place later in this week. Now, this comes after Asioa sent more than 800 African medical personnel to assist in reducing new infections and deaths from Ebola. So really, we want to look today at the African support of uh, these three uh, countries in West Africa that are affected by Ebola, looking at uh, what's happening right now and also just still finding out what are the new updates on that particular front. We have uh, Sarah Barber, who's back with us on our program. She's uh, with the World Health Organization. She's uh, based in Pretoria, South Africa. Also, we have Dr. Papi Majuba, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Right to Care. Now, I want to come with come with to you, rather, uh, Sarah Barber, looking at uh, where we are right now. We are told more than 12 months after the largest Ebola outbreak began, the situation is finally improving. The last time we spoke to you, uh, we were actually being optimistic about where we are in terms of medical support and where we are in terms of uh, fighting Ebola. Could you tell us more about where we are at this particular stage, Sarah? Yes, thanks very much for for inviting me to join again. Uh, We're still optimistic. There has been a a big decline in the number of cases, as we mentioned before. In the three most affected countries, we were seeing 500 to 700 new cases per week during um, uh, August. uh, And now we're seeing, uh, we saw about 144 new confirmed cases during the last week. So we we have seen a a very rapid decline. And the the biggest success, of course, has been in Liberia, where we've, we've just seen it's gone from 300 new confirmed cases weekly in August and September to to about three confirmed cases. So we have seen a a very aggressive response, a a big influx of Ebola treatment units in the three affected countries. Uh, We have 43 Ebola treatment units, some 26 labs. So there has been an influx of resources that has contributed to this, this big decline um, in cases, however, um, in the last couple of weeks, we've we have seen a slight increase in the number of new confirmed cases in Guinea, and uh, uh, essentially the same number of cases in Sierra Leone. So we we're warning uh, of people that they shouldn't be complacent that yeah. we haven't really gotten to zero yet. Mm. And also, in terms of uh, what's happening now, in terms of medical support, as I highlighted in our introduction, uh, South Africa is sending more medical support into those particular countries. Where are we when it comes to uh, medical assistance and also uh, supporting those three countries, Sarah? Well, 
Um, as I mentioned, there are Ebola treatment uh, units being set up, a total of 43, another 11 are under construction. So there, there is a good infrastructure in place, um, sufficient beds. So the challenge really has been to um, keep up with the movement of the outbreak. Um, so, for example, if a, an Ebola treatment unit has been set up in one place and we see new rec- reported cases in another district, we have to essentially shift those resources. So the, the challenge really has been to make sure we have sufficient data, that we're monitoring the trends, and that we um, respond and provide the resources to the right places. Mm. Now let's uh, bring in Dr. Papi Machuba, who is uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Right to Care. Uh, Dr. Papi Machuba, I've been told that you are part of a program to send health workers to Sierra Leone uh, on this coming Friday. And now, for me, it's a very interesting. What does it take for uh, a medical uh, health worker to actually go to these particular countries? Is there any specific training? We've never really spoken to a medical officer who goes to one of these countries. What goes into this kind of a mission? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I think that's a, that's a good question because um, I think that's, that's, that's key to understand the whole um, uh, issue of, uh, around um, caring for patients who are, who are affected by uh, uh, Ebola. Mm. I, I think uh, most of the, 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 the healthcare workers who generally know how to treat no emergencies. Um, they do deal with infectious diseases, you know, on a daily basis, but obviously uh, 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 those infectious diseases may be of a different nature, you know. So it's, it's, it's key that infection control is, is uppermost in, 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 in our um, um, attempt to recruit um, healthcare workers mm. because for them to be able to deal with patients who are highly <coughs> contagious, they have to ensure that they, they themselves are, are safe. They take all the infection protection and, 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 and control uh, measures appropriately for them to be able to carry their, their duties. So mm. the training is mainly to ensure that they don't infect themselves in the course of their of their of their work in seeing patients, um, this doesn't even um, uh, only apply to uh, healthcare workers who need to be seeing patients. It even extends to even other healthcare workers or like laboratory uh, personnel. Um, I mean, the the biggest I think uh, concern is uh, 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 among those we call contact uh, contact uh, tracing because I think in terms of finding more cases, you find that more cases are within the communities themselves. So mm. everybody involved has to be, you know, well prepared to, number one, you know, take care of themselves and make sure that they take all the precautions that they don't get uh, infected. And then secondly, obviously, to ensure that those patients or those um, uh, uh, patients that they come uh, into contact with don't even Infect other 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 uh, patients. Patients, Some of the patients you find that it's not all patients who are suspects 
are, have confirmed uh, Ebola at the end. You find that they've got other illnesses, so you try to make sure that even though, let's say, somebody else has got another infection like um, malaria or some other, 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 other illness which presents the same like Ebola, so that once it's confirmed that it's not Ebola, that patient doesn't even get uh, infected. Uh, from the person who could have Ebola in the same um, vicinity. So mm-hmm. the whole process of, of, of uh, ensuring that uh, people get training is about that. Mm. Well, let me come back to uh, Sarah Barber from the World Health Organization. Just to look at that issue of understanding Ebola itself, we heard from uh, Dr. Papi Majuba looking at some of uh, the training uh, um, mandates that uh, one has to go through in order to go to one of these particular countries. But in terms of understanding Ebola from a medical perspective and also from health workers, and I know it's a, it's a, it's it's an outbreak that's very unique. It's not something that we really, really have our hands on in terms of full knowledge and understanding. In terms of that, knowing what Ebola is, do you think that health workers are at a point where they know how to deal with it? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's very interesting just to, to add on to what, what um, Poppy was saying. I, you know, what we're seeing is that we have a very high number of health workers um, infected in this outbreak. We have mm. over 830 confirmed cases and nearly 500 deaths reported among health workers. And each one of those is being investigated in West Africa um, to find out where the, where the transmission took place. And remarkably, what we're seeing is that a lot of the, the infections are taking place outside of the Ebola treatment units. So it's, you know, people who are working, um, you know, in the evenings or in outpatient clinics and are, and are, and are managing patients um, that are coming and that are presenting with fevers but are not yet confirmed um, with, with Ebola. So, so it's actually really remarkable. And, it, it, you know, it really emphasizes the importance of having very strong um, infection prevention and control measures in all facilities. Um, and I think this is actually where we're moving with the, with the outbreak response. I mean, we've we've put into place a lot of these temporary Ebola treatment units. We are have we have labs, and now we're looking at working with the health workers, strengthening their capacity, and looking to see whether or not the infrastructure can, over the long term, um, continue to both manage the the continued number of cases with Ebola, but also um, be what we're calling resilient, um, or essentially be more responsive and proactive to any to any future health uh, threat. Mm. And just to come back to Dr. Papi Majuba, I find it very interesting looking at the perspective of the health worker themselves, and I always want to bring it back to me as an ordinary person. I just think mm-hmm. of myself being a health worker. I don't have the expertise. I don't have the, um, the knowledge, of course not, but I'm just being hypothetical, asking it as a citizen. Dr. Papi Majuba, in terms of the stereotypes sometimes that are now uh, connected to Ebola, in terms of um, having the right mindset, the right uh, consciousness on what you're actually going to be dealing with and removing that fear, removing that kind of uh, a skepticism. How do you make sure that health workers are equipped mentally to deal with what's going on there in West Africa? Yeah, I think that's a good question again. I think the main thing is that um, I think during the recruitment, I think some um, uh, uh, you will be surprised that you know in the current group that is going um, uh, going this week, mm. we had over 60 candidates. 
but the screening that had to be done looks at you know the psychological profile of a person can the person take the the, 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 the I think the strain of working under those conditions because it's not only the the, the dealing with uh, uh, patients who are really sick or or some of them you, you know who are dying but it's also the environment the, mm-hmm. uh, I mean I'm told that certain times of the year, it's very hot and you are within this, inside this uh, uh, protective equipment which mm-hmm. can make things even difficult, you know. So people have to be to be, to be be assessed whether they've got that capacity, you know. Obviously, over and above the fact that most of them, we find that it's people who are committed, who wanted to make a difference. But I think uh, in, our, in our selection uh, 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 process, we had to really make sure that it's people who have the right attitude, the right you know, mental balance to 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 carry the, the I think the stress. It's, it's a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. We can't lie about it, and we put it up uh, uh, up front to them to say this is. Uh, uh, I mean, because we 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 we, we play, uh, uh, scenario play the, the conditions there to say you will be seeing uh, such issues. How do you feel about you know dealing with mm-hmm. them? As mm-hmm. I said before, most of the people are really people who have experience in working in trauma units, in, mm-hmm. you know, emergency units. So they've seen a lot of, you know, uh, trauma cases and they've seen a lot of uh, uh, such issues. But it's just to emphasize the point that, you know, here this is a different uh, 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 arena environment. Mm-hmm. These are the, the issues that you need to deal with. Are you prepared for that? So they, then the preparation and the training is about emphasizing those points that to make sure that they, they don't uh, usually crack when they are there because I think one of the reasons why even the working conditions, you know, they are, are such that they have to have, you know, breaks there and then because, you know, we always say that when you you do certain things for a long time sometimes, mm. you, you tend to, mm. you know, relax and, you know, your gut goes down and yeah. that's when, you know, the infection comes. So it's to reemphasize those points that we don't even, when even when you work under the conditions there, you can't work for a long time. You have to have breaks and yeah. you have to have certain, you know, uh, procedures that we need to to ensure that you've got breaks in between, you know, working in such intense, uh, intensive uh, environment. Yeah, well, fantastic. I think these guys are champions that are actually taking hold of this particular task. And just listening to you, Dr. Papi Majuba, I'm kind of like, sometimes we see figures like 20 nurses and three paramedics as just numbers. But these are real people who are actually putting themselves out there and actually making a difference. And I think those guys are champions. But we'll continue and look at some of the other elements from a health perspective if you've just joined us we're focusing on Ebola once again looking at uh, the 23 South African health workers that are, are going uh, to those three uh, Ebola affected countries and they've been uh, sent as part of the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa and we know that is the real mission from uh, the African Union to actually make sure that something is done and I know that it's not just South Africa let's put that out there We have also other medical experts from other parts of the continent that are bringing in their skills.
travels to those particular countries. Let me just let you know who we have on the line. We have Sarah Baba, who's a World Health Organization representative, joining us on the line. She's back with us, giving us some insight on what's happening right now. And also we have Dr. Papi Majuba, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Right to Care. It's part of a program that's actually sending some South African uh, health officers or health workers to actually help out uh, in the fight against Ebola in those countries. Let's take a little break and then we'll uh, come back to this conversation. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to me on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today, we're focusing on the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa, sending South African health workers to Ebola-affected countries. But we know it's just not from South Africa that we're seeing health workers and support moving into West Africa, but uh, it's also other African countries uh, actually pulling together to make sure that uh, we deal with the Ebola crisis as we heard earlier on from Sarah Baba. We're not there yet. There's still a lot of work to do. We're still seeing that uh, uh, in uh, Sierra Leone and in Guinea there's still some problems there and the numbers are still unpredictable there. And uh, just to let you know who we have on the line, we have Sarah Baba who's from the World Health Organization and Dr. Uh, Babi Majuba who is the Chief Medical Officer at Right to Care. Now I want to start with you this part of the conversation, Sarah, and I I think it's interesting what uh, Dr. Papi Majuba was highlighting there because those are just really the day-to-day issues that uh, health workers face. But in terms of uh, uh, looking at it from a financial perspective, because it's something that we really did look at the last time, and I remember you, Sarah, highlighting there still needs to be more support from a financial perspective. Uh, are we garnering more support? Are we seeing uh, governments and uh, uh, the international community as a whole are actually focusing on this issue and actually saying, hey, let's let's support this uh, financially. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I, I, I agree fully with um, the, the comments about preparing health workers and the need to, to make sure that they're prepared to go into this situation. But I think we also need to make sure that the systems are in place to support mm. health workers. Mm. You know, you can't ask people to go into a situation where they don't have, where, you know, for example, what happened in West Africa where the health workers didn't have gloves, they didn't have masks, mm. they didn't have the protective equipment, they were working in facilities with that didn't have have sterilization equipment or even running water in some cases. So I think the focus really has gone back to what we need 
to build a very strong health system. Um, and, and WHO has held a couple of meetings with the affected countries and with all the development partners to really talk about how we not only reconstruct the health system, but make sure that we have a very strong health system that can act, that can deliver, um, you know, responsive care, that can really respond to these kind of demands on the ground. Mm. Um, and so there's been essentially a series of uh, national planning processes in all three countries, Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone, where um, WHO has been involved and a lot of partners have been involved in really looking at uh, planning for the um, reconstruction of, of a strong and resilient health system um, so that they can restart basic health service delivery, essentially, and make sure that they have the, the staff, the facilities, the infrastructure, and the equipment to, to get back to, where, to, to not only where they were before the outbreak, but to really strengthen the health system over the long term to be able to respond to these types of outbreaks in the future. Mm. And also, Dr. Babi Majuba, just uh, looking at that uh, particular support for health workers, I'm sure that uh, it's interesting when you look at it from a practical element. I mean, who's helping the health workers? What guarantee do they have there that when they move into those countries, they'll be looked after, they'll have correct meals themselves, that also they'll have the, uh, you know, good assessment programs whereby they are actually, uh, their health is assessed and also they are supported themselves. Is there any guarantee that's given uh, from your side, Dr. Uh, Majuba? Yeah, um, I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot, whole, uh, a whole lot of um, um, behind the scenes mm. and uh, preparations that are done. I mean, from the time they are, they are recruited to the time they are trained, the time they are uh, the logistics of their travel, their accommodation mm. and per diems, you know what they, you know they need to to be able to for their upkeep every day. So all those things are are, are really uh, sorted out. The thing, the main thing is that they have to have the assurance that any any time of, of, of their stay in in, 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 in in the country in country they've got the support both mm-hmm. in terms of their um, you know responsibilities as health worker as well as their person in their personal capacity. We even have a a a, 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 a system of ensuring that on a daily basis they have access to their families, their families have got Fantastic. access to them on a daily basis we ensure that any 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 problem that they encounter, they are able to you know immediately get um, uh, assistance. Um, that ranges from you know all their daily needs, their security. Mm-hmm. We've got you know the, the the plans for where where they are going to be stationed. There is uh, I mean because there is uh, this has got also country and uh, country to country you know agreements to say when they go to certain places they have to have. Um, uh, the, the, the security ensured. Uh, um, uh, I mean, we have had uh, a lot of, of, of reports in Guinea, for instance, that you know certain communities have got this um, uh, problem with with um, healthcare workers who come to their uh, areas, and you know there have been some few reported cases of unrest. But 
by and large, I think most of the people we send in there, they've got issues of security being uh, sorted out, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we've got all the plans in place. I mean, up to you know what they eat, where do they go, um, their upkeep, general upkeep uh, on a daily basis. They, I mean, even the the, the danger allowance for just being there, uh, they, 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 they need to be you know supported in terms of giving them you know that you know um, extra you know allowance for them being there so it's it's, it's a holistic uh, 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 preparation and ensuring that they've got everything that they need you know they don't have to uh, worry about you know their upkeep they have to worry about mm, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, ensuring that patients who Great. come to their care they, they get the necessary you know um, uh, care that they, they need mm. now I just want to divert from from this just a little bit and, and I, I love the fact that we are giving the health worker a human face today because sometimes when you look at those images you do see them in their gears and that white gear and they masked and you really yeah. don't see that human face indeed in itself but I want to look at the situation of what's happening in terms of the humanitarian response and let, let me move this to Sarah Baba I mean the International Federation of the Red Cross and the Red Crescents uh, had warned that local resistance to containment efforts in Guinea in Sierra Leone is hampering the control of Ebola. And you did highlight earlier on, Sarah, some of those factors in terms of where uh, we see the infections taking place. It's outside uh, the uh, facilities. Uh, do we know how we can deal with these issues whereby uh, there's resistance from, from locals? How do we uh, keep educating people, making them understand what's happening in their countries? And what is actually the hampering aspect of it? What are locals saying? This is a great question, and I think this is one of the most important um, lessons learned out of this response, that we have to work with local communities. And in the early days of the response, mm-hmm. um, you know, WHO and other foreign medical teams came in in full gear into these communities, and basically um, not only the health workers were unfamiliar with the disease, but the communities didn't know what was going on. They had never seen this disease before in West Africa. We had never had an outbreak. We'd had outbreaks in Central Africa, but not West Africa. So so essentially, um, you know, the communities perceived that this disease was being introduced by outsiders. There were all sorts of myths and misconceptions mm-hmm. about how the disease is transmitted. Um, and, and on top of that, there were a series of cultural practices that enabled viral transmission, such as traditional burials and uh, extensive physical contact, um, touching people who have died of Ebola um, when they are still uh, able to transmit the disease. So I think that this is really critical that we start from day one to work with these communities to try to talk to people about this disease, to make sure that they understand the the symptoms of the disease, um, that they seek help. Uh, when family members um, start showing any symptoms of the disease. We are still seeing um, districts um, with uh, security incidents or, or demonstrations of refusal to cooperate, particularly in Guinea and Sierra Leone. And I think this is this is really shows that we do have a way to go in terms of um, working much more closely with the communities to make sure that we uh, gain the support of community leaders and gain the trust of, mm. of community leaders um, so that they work with the public health community to 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 essentially get attention to people who who have are suffering from this disease and and also 
Um, one of the problems now is essentially unsafe burials. The people who have died of Ebola are, are not um, being buried in, in, in a safe and dignified way so that the disease is not transmitted any further. And so this is something that we really do need to, to think about very carefully, um, how we work as close as possible with the communities to gain their trust. Mm. And I know every time I speak to you, Sarah, I always get a new perspective. I always kind of get new information on what's happening with um, Ebola. There's a lot of unpredictability about it. But I also want to move about from a health personnel person, from a, uh, a perspective of someone who works in the health uh, industry. Dr. Papi Matuba, uh, when you look at this Ebola phenomenon, uh, has there been anything that you've learned? Because I think there are a lot of lessons that are being learned here from a medical perspective, especially from from a, a perspective of a health worker. Yeah, I, I think I think for me the lessons that I've learned, which I think uh, hold true for what we are seeing, uh, is with the whole um, history of the Ebola uh, outbreak. Mm. I mean, we had more than twenty two or 24 outbreaks before this outbreak. The only difference between this one and the, the, the previous one is the, the nature of, of, of where this outbreak took place. I think the issue of um, uh, uh, infrastructure, mm. which is, 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 is what you know, uh, uh, differentiates this from the others. I mean, this happened in countries who were still recovering you know, from uh, civil strife and other other problems, and their infrastructure was not there. You know, these days you hear people talking about you know health systems being in place for you. I mean, you can do. I mean, you can do all you can in terms of the no- medical knowledge, in terms of knowing what to do when you are confronted with people. But if there's infrastructure which needs to be, you know, uh, mm. the anchor. Mm. Of what you need to do is not in place. You'll get problems like this. I think the second lesson, which I think I all, always say, that it's not about the medical uh, uh, information only, mm. but all the, 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 the necessary things that go with it. I think uh, Sarah just uh, mentioned one of the critical issues, which I think public awareness and community engagement mm. is key, because a lot of the, the, the case is that you, you hear one, one, one week uh, the, 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 the new cases are down, the mm-hmm. following week are high. It's because in certain instances, it's because people come out of their you know, hiding and all that because there has been a lot of stigma with mm-hmm. it. You know? We, we, we know about the stigma of HIV, but I think people underestimate the stigma which is you know, uh, uh, in those communities which goes with this especially for those people. And the understanding and also uh, uh, respecting the cultural practices, you know, the safe burials, you know, there is, it took a while for, you know, medical people to understand that even though you are, you are trying to uh, 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 help people to be uh, safe mm-hmm. in terms of burials, but the, 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 the intensity of their uh, holding on to those uh, uh, cultural practices is key. Hence, you know, the advent of coming up with an idea of safe barriers. You still uh, 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 follow those those 
culture, uh, cultural practices, mm, but mm. in a safe way. And you incorporate the, 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 the community which come from that and train them and still respect their, their culture. So for me, mm. even if it's, uh, we, we talk of a, a purely medical inter, uh, interventions, but it's interrelated with uh, social and economic and, and, and cultural and all those elements. You know, that's why the capacity building now is about mm. ensuring that the communities are, 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 are there's enough awareness, there's yeah. enough engagement. You know, safe burials are part of the issue. Case finding, we mm. go to those communities and ensure that, you know, those cases which will otherwise not have come out if we didn't go into the communities, we get them. And that is the only way we can end this now, I want to come back to this uh, program, Dr. Papi Machuba, as we wrap up the program. We know that now you've uh, sent uh, 23 more South African health workers. Now, moving forward, will you be sending more health workers there? What is the program looking like as we speak? Um, I think for now mm. we 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 are because we are in partnership. Uh, we are we are we are working under the partnership of the Department of Health and the uh, AU now mm. with other internal um, South African uh, uh, organisations. The main thing now is for us to obviously assess the situation. I mean, like the the current group is going to be there for six months. We anticipate that if all the being being taken by all role players uh, come to fruition we we supposed to be seeing you know a, a decrease in the in the in the epidemic and we we supposed to see the epidemic ending towards the end of the year you know at at at, at the most but it it requires a lot of hard work for us even to go to, uh, to to arrive at that so for 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 for, for now we thought that uh, after this group we will assess we won't send any other group because i think what is needed now is more of ensuring that all the other uh, uh, associated um, uh, elements of of, of uh, 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 responding to this are in place. I mean, the infrastructure, mm. the, all the, the, the yeah. community engagement yeah. issues, yeah. ensuring yeah. that um, uh, 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 contact tracing is, is, is really ramped up to such an extent that we get few cases uh, coming through. Mm. Uh, Sarah, let me end the program with you in terms of, of your perspective in uh, moving forward because I think you always bring some great insights. And the last time you were speaking about uh, the issue of uh, uh, financial support and uh, strengthening those uh, uh, infrastructure systems. Uh, how do we move on from here? Because there's new dynamics that we're seeing now. Your views? Well, I think, you know, um, the the focus now is really on, with the declining number of cases, the focus is on recovery and making sure that these countries have very strong health systems and infrastructure in place. So we've moved from looking at essentially, you know, focusing on the number of confirmed cases to making sure, for example, that anybody who is admitted to a treatment unit gets aggressive supportive care because while we don't have a vaccine, we don't have a treatment, we know that if people get uh, fluids, if they get their 
vital signs monitored, that if they can be treated for coexisting infection, we can we can um, improve their chances of survival. So it's really focusing very much on the system, making sure that we're providing everything we can to those patients and um, building up the capacity, including, and what you've emphasized is the human resources, the people, which are our most valuable resources in keeping our uh, community safe and healthy. Mm. Sarah, just before I let you go, uh, I remember there was a vaccine trial the last time we mm. spoke to you. What happened to that uh, period? Do we know any findings from that or is, still, is that still undergoing? It's still undergoing. Um, we do have two vaccine candidates that are very promising. But the phase, what we're calling the phase one and the phase two trials, or these sort of large-scale trials mm. to look at whether or not these vaccines work, are underway. And we hope to have the data by April, as early as April, which will tell us whether or not these vaccine candidates work. Well, thank you so much to Sarah Barber. She's from the World Health Organization. She's back in Pretoria, South Africa. Uh, the last time we spoke to her, she was in the United States. I think she was at the UN headquarters speaking to us about those uh, trials of the vaccine. And we also had Dr. Papi Majuba, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Right to Care. Thank you both for joining us on the program. Thanks so much, Ryan. Fantastic conversation indeed. And I really love what uh, Dr. Papi Majuba was talking about, really giving us that human face, really saying, hey, the health worker has some challenges. Hey, the health worker is actually a normal person like you and me, but hey, they've got great assets in terms of the way they work, their capabilities, their skills, and also that uh, mental strength. And hey, let's not take it for granted that there are real people out there helping other people to deal with this Ebola crisis. And uh, we're going to have a little break right now maybe a a little song for a little while before we move on to our economics update just to have a little breather that's how we call it a wrap thank you for joining us here on channel africa this is african dialogue really bring you the big conversations that are taking place around the continent at this time you have any thoughts do sms us on plus two seven eight two three 
0614-325-9025. And you can also find us on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa 1. And you can also find us at African Dialogue. Don't forget our Channel Africa Facebook page. It's simply titled Channel Africa. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. For today, that's all we have. See you tomorrow.